Now, the Three Martini Lunch with Greg Columbus and Jim Garrity. And welcome, everyone, to the Thursday edition of the Three Martini Lunch, along with Jim Garrity of National Review, also the author of Between Two Scorpions. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. We have good, bad, and crazy martinis for conservatives today. All of it brought to you by Blinds.com. Right now, Three Martini Lunch listeners can get $20 off at Blinds.com when you use the promo code Martini. Much more on that in just a moment. Jim, we start with the good news, and to some it might be surprisingly good news. I'm certainly surprised by the margin anyway. Politico, a slim majority, and that's a little bit misleading, but a slim majority of voters supports the mass deportation raids previewed by President Donald Trump last week, a new Politico and Morning Consult poll shows. The survey found that 51% of voters supported the sweeping raids by Immigration and Customs Enforcement officers, compared with 35% of voters who opposed those efforts. Around two-thirds of voters said they'd heard about the ICE raids, which had already been delayed once amid internal resistance and word of their timing having leaked, and were set to begin Sunday in nearly a dozen cities across the country. Bottom line here, 85% of Republicans approve, 29% of Democrats. They don't give a number in the story on independence. But, uh, Jim, given the way the media treats this story, you'd think it would be hugely lopsided in the opposite direction. So the American people are able to cut through a lot of this stuff, it seems, and that's good on top of supporting a necessary enforcement policy. Yeah, this would be one of those narrow 16-point margins there, Greg. (laughs) Yes. That's a narrow 16-point margin the way I'm a light 200 200 pounds on the scale. Um, (laughs) I suppose it's all relative, you know, compared to uh, Ebola, Yes, public opinion is pretty divided on this. Uh, look, you know, I'm, the more I think about it, this is not that stunning. You know, like, yes, the, the media has been very one-sided on this. Um, yes, there certainly has been a campaign of demonization against immigration enforcement. Probably the most spectacular example of that came last year when the re- researcher for and fact-checker for the New Yorker contended that the, uh, uh, the eagle was a Nazi symbol. But in the end, look, people in America, I think, are very welcoming of immigrants, but they want you to do it legally. Um, they may have a certain amount of sympathy for Manuel, the busboy, down the, the restaurant down the street who entered illegally, who's not, doesn't seem to be a threat to anyone, doesn't seem to be a MS-13 gang member or a drug dealer or something. But that person did break the law. And the assumption, I think a correct one, is that when, when ICE raids a place, they're going after those who are most dangerous. Again, you, you've had many opportunities to return back to your home country to, to try to do it legally. Um, it's not like there's been a lack of coverage about ICE raids. Uh, and this administration has made the unusual choice of announcing that they're coming. Greg, if you were in charge of trying to sneak up on people who have violated the law, would you want the president of the United States saying, they're coming this Sunday? You know, um, and of course, and of course. Local law enforcement in some places like uh, L.A. are announcing, well, we're not going to cooperate with that and stuff like that. Again, further explanation of, hey, uh, they're coming. You know, you probably want to keep an eye on that. Um, So, again, this is somewhat it's a little bit surprising. Maybe you'd argue the numbers should be even more lopsided. But in a case where uh, a good chunk of the media has tried to make the argument these ICE raids are ipso facto illegitimate and menacing and abuse of law enforcement and, and you know, un-American and all that kind of stuff. Uh, these are pretty darn good numbers, and I think the administration would be wise to reemphasize these numbers every opportunity they get. Yeah, and if you're a criminal and if a court has specifically ordered that you go, you need to go. And I think most Americans understand that. They think they can see the difference uh, in, in different 
criteria for different folks. And obviously, as you get further away from the worst of the worst, the debate gets more intense and we need to have that debate. But in terms of the people at the top of the list for deportation, I think a bulk of the public understands they need to go. And and that's what the poll shows. And that's good. All right, let's move on to our, actually, no, let's talk about Blinds.com. How's that for a transition? (laughs) Blinds.com, for many of us, your blinds or whatever you have on your windows is an afterthought. But with brand new made-to-order custom window coverings from Blinds.com, you can really transform the look and feel of your entire home. When you need new blinds, there is only one place you need to go, and that is Blinds.com. With 15 million windows covered and over 30,000 five-star customer reviews, Blinds.com is America's number one online retailer for affordable, quality, custom window coverings. Whether you're looking for energy efficiency, you just moved, or you just want to refresh the look of your home, Blinds.com makes the whole experience fast and easy. Plus, every order gets free samples, free shipping, and a free online design consultation. Just send them pictures of your house, and they will send back custom recommendations from a professional for what will work with your color scheme, furniture, and specific rooms. We'll even send you free samples to make sure everything looks as good in person as it does online. And once again, every order gets free shipping. Now, this is the best part. If you accidentally mismeasure or pick the wrong color, in other words, if you make the mistake, Blinds.com will remake your blinds for free. They've really made it easy for you. So there's no more excuses for leaving up those mangled blinds. And right now, Three Martini Lunch listeners, for a limited time, can get $20 off at Blinds.com when you use the promo code MARTINI. That's Blinds.com, promo code MARTINI for $20 off. That's off faux wood blinds, cellular shades, roller shades, and more. Blinds.com, promo code MARTINI, rules and restrictions apply. All right, Jim, let's move to our bad martini now. And in this ongoing game of political tennis to see who is going to blow their political advantage, it's now President Trump's turn to be back in the bad martini. Yesterday, he held a rally in Greenville, North Carolina. And once again, he was talking about Ilhan Omar and the crowd got into it to no surprise. Here's how it sounded. You say Al-Qaeda makes you proud. Al-Qaeda makes you proud. You don't speak that way about America. And obviously and importantly, Omar has a history of launching vicious anti-Semitic screeds. Send her back is the chant, uh, apparently replacing lock her up. So, uh, Jim, we're back to this issue now. Trump getting hammered by a lot of folks, left, right, and center. There's so much to go after Ilhan Omar for. I don't understand why the argument keeps having to go here, because there's such a rich field of material out there. Yeah, look, this morning I kind of laid out the point that uh, I suppose it's, first of all, it's a small miracle they weren't chanting send them back under the continuing the president's uh, erroneous uh, assumption or claim on Sunday that all of them were immigrants and should be sent back to their home countries. Um, but what's more is, look, I, I, you know, I'm no fan of Ilhan Omar, and I spend probably the first two-thirds of today's morning jolt going through it and laying out all the different allegations against her, not just extremist comments and stuff like that. What, what Trump says there about pride in Al-Qaeda, she, she never said that she was proud of Al-Qaeda. What she did say um, was that she kind of, when she was making fun of a professor who kind of kept I guess using a certain tone or body language every time he used the term, every time he would refer to Al-Qaeda or Hezbollah. Um, The quote is, the thing that's interesting in my class is every time the professor said Al-Qaeda, he sort of like, his shoulders went up. 
And she's laughing as she says this. Al-Qaeda, Hezbollah. She says, you don't say America with an intensity. You don't say England with the intensity. You don't say the army with an intensity. But you say these names of terrorist groups because you want that word to carry weight. Uh, when you hear people speaking, you know, and so the question is like, she seems, I guess she's really objects to the tone of voice people use when they describe Al-Qaeda and Hezbollah. Um, this is on top of her. Some people said, some people did something describing 9-11. Um, she claimed that the U.S. soldiers in Somalia, uh, in, in the Black Hawk Down incident killed thousands of Somalis, which is not true. Like she's got some real issues with terrorism. Um, probably the most substantial one, I think, is this uh, fundraising she's done for this organization called uh, Islamic Relief. Uh, now, Islamic Relief says, hey, we are just a charity. We have no political views. We have no ideological views. Middle East Forum says, hey, they've uh, worked with a lot of groups. They've worked with Hamas. They've hosted extremist clerics. This is not a pure charity. This is a, you know, uh, if no more than one degree of separation away from out-and-out terrorist groups and effectively um, promotes Islamic fundamentalism uh, and other threats like that. Look, Middle, maybe Middle East Forum is wrong. Maybe it's not. If nothing else, you probably want to be careful around a group like that. And she has held closed-door forums and fundraisers for them, which is a little unnerving. Look, you know, material support to a terrorist group would, in fact, be a crime. Uh, there's also issues of, uh, you know, the, the main allegation you hear a lot more about is the idea that she married her brother and that this was somehow immigration fraud. Now, I made the argument early in today's jolt that fraud uh, in helping someone else is not likely to get you deported yourself. Uh, if you wrote, because you know, Ilhan Omar became a citizen in 2000. Now, what I hadn't seen when I uh, wrote up today's jolt, and people have been sending to me all morning, is that um, the guys at Powerline and a couple of the lawyers up there have been doing research, and they contend that Ilhan Omar basically committed identity fraud uh, in her original application to be a U.S. citizen way back in the 1990s. Uh, basically, she claimed to be a, flood, a blood relative of a uh, legal American family living in Virginia in order to uh, to get you know speedier through the immigration process, uh, if she did, if that is the case, then in fact yes, she's committed a crime, and you probably could contemplate uh, denaturalization and deportation if you can prove all that stuff. There's a lot of documents up there. Um, it certainly looks to me like there's enough there to do a real investigation. But there's we have people who do this sort of thing. We have U.S. attorneys. We have law enforcement groups. Um, all of this is based upon specific allegations of specific crimes. The crowd there is basically chanting, send her back because they hate her, right? Because they really don't like her. And the argument you know, that arises out of this is that, look, it's, it's, by the way, it's not all that different from uh, lock her up. And I think a lot of this is we hate her, go to hell. You know, you, you could put any three word chant in there. Um, and the argument is that she really doesn't belong here. Now, if she committed fraud, she does not belong here. Um, but even having crazy unpopular views does not make does not mean you are not an American citizen. Lots of people have crazy views. Lots of you know, we talked earlier in the week about all the nut jobs who want to rush across and try to see what's in Area 51. You know, we're not deporting those people. Uh, you know, so what really is I hate these people. As you as you mentioned there, Greg, there are a lot of really good arguments to be made against Ilhan Omar and argue that she does not. Maybe doesn't deserve a security clearance. Maybe does not deserve a uh, does not deserve her seat in Congress and all that kind of stuff. But that's not enough for this crowd, uh, and that very much they want to make the argument: Look, she's not really an American, even though she's been a U.S. citizen since the year two thousand. Did we mention she was a target-rich environment? Uh, if Trump's, if Trump's <laughs> speechwriters had been a little more on the ball yesterday, they could have talked about what Ilan Omar did yesterday rather than going back to the tweets which caused such a ruckus. Yesterday in the House, Ilhan Omar introduced the BDS bill aimed at Israel. BDS, boycott, divest, 
and sanctions, which basically is an economic targeting of Israel to try and cripple their economy. And in the language introducing this bill, she says, quotes, Americans of conscience have a proud history of participating in boycotts to advocate for human rights abroad, including boycotting Nazi Germany from March 1933 to October 1941 in response to the dehumanization of the Jewish people in the lead up to the Holocaust. So you've got Ilhan Omar comparing the state of Israel to Nazi Germany, and instead you go back to focusing on your tweets. Why? Uh, you know, um, but just observation about the squad. Uh, when we, you know, because we, we had discussed this earlier in the week, you know, Trump made his comments, they held their press conference. Most of what, you know, you know uh, um, Presley had said, don't take the bait. And Omar says, we must impeach the president, right? Um, <laughs> You know, she goes, she's the one who went probably most off topic. She's the one who, um, I mean, it's, you know, as much as you don't like AOC, she's never offered any comments. I'm like, God, are Americans funny the way they talk about Al-Qaeda? You know, um, she, you know, Omar in that speech, by the way, you know, believed that CARE, the Council of American Islamic Relations, had been formed after 9-11. It was formed back in 1994. Perhaps not the sharpest knife in the drawer. And look, I'm just saying, you look at the four in the squad, Greg, you think we picked out the weak link? Look, each one of them says all, all, all kinds of outlandish or extremist things and things like that. It's not like AOC is, is short of these uh, types of comments. But man, Omar is the one who really goes out there <laughs> and, you, and really forces people to avert their eyes from saying these sorts of you know, Look at this way. Nobody's accusing AOC of marrying her brother. Just saying that. <laughs> Jim, let's move to our crazy martini now. And it's kind of a depressing uh, crazy martini because... Even in a really polarized political climate, which we perpetually seem to be in now, there are certain things which ought to bring us all together, but sadly, no longer do. Women's soccer team wins the World Cup. Political controversy divides the country. Fourth of July, Trump decides to give a speech. That has half the country going nuts. Uh, Fourth of July becomes controversial. This coming Saturday is July 20th. It's the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 moon landing when Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin landed on the moon First steps by humans ever on the moon. Should be a great galvanizing time. Certainly was back in 1969. But our betters in the elite media simply can't help themselves. The Washington Post and the New York Times deciding to highlight what was really wrong with NASA and the whole space culture back in the day. The Washington Post with a story uh, up on Twitter titled, The culture that put men on the moon was intense, fun, family unfriendly and mostly white and male. Not to be outdone, the New York Times, the Apollo program was designed by men for men. If we do not acknowledge the gender bias of the early space program, it becomes difficult to move past it. And then underneath it, it says, to make it to the moon, women have to escape Earth gender bias. And now, most recently, the New York Times, America may have put the first man on the moon, but the Soviet Union sent the first woman, the first Asian man, and the first black man into orbit, all years before the U.S. would follow. So, Jim, we got there first, but we're horrible, horrible people. Usually you only get these sorts of pieces around the 4th of July. (laughs) You might be feeling proud of America, but you shouldn't, and here's why. You think America's so great, but they're not. And in fact, it was the Soviet Union with the gulags that actually was better for human rights. Shut up and go away. Um, <laughs> by the way, like I want to make that observation about the Soviet space program. This is not directly a plug for Between Two Scorpions, but you know, people ask them what's coming up next. Um, so the, the Soviet Union may have been the first one to send the first man in space, Yuri Gagarin. 
Um, but let me put it this way. The, Yuri Gagarin was the first man to go up to space and live. There's considerable evidence from, you know, both from at the time uh, and several documents that got released at the end of the Cold War that the Soviet space program had sent up a bunch of guys trying to hope that they would, uh, uh, you know, manage to get this. And they didn't make the trip. Uh, it's an interesting debate about whether they broke, uh, escaped Earth's atmosphere or how high they got or something like that. So apparently a bunch of people died during the early days of the Soviet space program, and they just chose to not tell anyone. Um, so that's that great Soviet space program that the New York Times is so proud of. Perhaps we shouldn't be that surprised by this, Greg. Yesterday we had talked about uh, Chris Pratt and his T-shirt and the idea that, you know, outrage clicks are now the new currency of journalism. And so with the <coughs> anniversary of the, uh, uh, the, the landing on the moon coming up, those of us who are paying attention also know that this is the anniversary of Chappaquiddick coming up. Yes. If you ever end up in a really, if you ever have a really terrible scandal in which you pretty much kill somebody, try to have it occur on the first time Americans land on the moon. That's, that's a really good, uh, that's really the perfect timing for that sort of thing. The New York Times could have said, hey, it's 50 years since the moon landing. Isn't this an amazing achievement in human history? Isn't this, you know, uh, every time you can look up at the moon and think, my goodness, we put a, we put a human, we put two men up there. You know, and, and they came back in one piece. Isn't that amazing? You know, nobody else had ever done that before. But I'm fond of pointing out when people start complaining about how bad using inches and feet and everything is and how much better it would be at the, the metric system. Almost every country in the world, Greg, uses the metric system. And none of them have been to the moon. <laughs> I don't think that's a coincidence. To get there, you need feet and inches. Now, um, you know, like this is this, you know, the, the quintessential example of American exceptionalism, right? We don't want to conquer the world but we do want to lead the world and we want to lead the world by example. And we believe in ourselves. We believe in this limitless, you know, we, we believe in the frontier, right? You know, and, and uh, space, the final frontier, as, as the, you know, Captain Kirk explained to us. Um, th- you know, this is something we should all be feeling good about. And of course, the New York Times has to go, you shouldn't be feeling that good about this. In fact, if you're sufficiently woke, you should be wagging your head in disapproval at uh, Neil Armstrong for being such a male show. By the way, am, am I stunned for saying that during the height of the space race that the space, U.S. space program was not family friendly, right? They, they, really? They weren't giving these guys a lot of, well, a lot of workaholics in the space program, huh, you think? <laughs> With a child care center on the, uh, on, on the space capsule, too. That's what they really should have had. Hats off to CBS, actually. They did a story in a different way. They talked about three women who played critical roles in the Apollo 11 mission from the ground, obviously, uh, and how their uh, efforts were indispensable. A couple years ago, we had the movie Hidden Figures and Katherine Johnson and the two other ladies who were phenomenal mathematicians uh, along the way. I think it's perfectly fine to point that out. Um, I've also gotten a kick out of folks saying, Jim, I wonder what the uh, makeup of the New York Times and Washington Post newsrooms were at that time. What was the demographic complexion (laughs) of the those institutions that was the way american society was is worth knowing by the way numerically uh you just had a, a lot more whites around so you shouldn't be surprised by it were you still coming out of actually you could argue the, the process of desegregation was still going on yeah you know look this our, our country had a long way to go before it uh came around to what we see as a, a true equality of opportunity and things like that you know fine you want to talk about that we can but you know look what this is, is that people's objection to all of this means that they absolutely positively cannot uh, permit anyone else to feel good about things. It's very much this uh, Debbie Downer type uh, attitude of, oh, you think you're feeling good about that? Well, I think you should feel this, you know, you should feel bad about this. And, uh, you know, this is uh, unsurprising. I, feel, I don't think it really persuades anyone, whereas I think actually making a movie about three African-American women doing something amazing uh, is much more likely to actually 
change people's minds or wake people up or kind of you know make people notice things that they otherwise have did not. Yeah, last point on this, and I don't know how deep we want to make this, but I remember even at D-Day, there were articles about uh, how the invading force was overwhelmingly white. So is this just uh, trying to force previous generations into the present day culture, or is it trying to push us down the road to, you know, America overall just hasn't been that great, and it feeds into what the left is trying to, to force on campus and into our politics now? Yeah, I mean, here's my my theory behind this, is that if you're, we all try to do our best in life. You know, I write what I write. Greg, you do what you do. You interview folks over at Radio America, veterans, groups like that. We tape our podcast. We raise our families. We try to be good people. And then you look at Neil Armstrong. You're like, holy, you know, he walked on the moon, right? And you think about all the people who built the rockets and all the people who managed it and mission control and how they had to have ice water in their veins every time things went wrong and uh, you, know, you watch Apollo 13 and you marvel at, you know, in the middle of a crisis, somehow they managed to pull it together and keep a cool head and get them back, you know, um, and, and you feel a little inferior, you know, you feel a little like, God, what am I doing with my life? You know, what, what, you know, these guys did something so extraordinary. So there's kind of this reflexive instinct of, oh, they can't be that good. There's gotta be something about them. That's bad. There's gotta be something about them that is, uh, uh, you know, there's gotta be some way in which I'm better than them. And there you go looking for it. And obviously, considering racial attitudes and, and you know, uh, attitudes towards women and, and things like that back then, it's not surprising that people, uh, you know, back then did not have the most, what do you want to call it, enlightened attitudes or, you know, whatever measure, however you want to characterize it. So as a result, you find, oh, here's a way in which I'm better than those astronauts. Here's a way in which I am, uh, I, I can feel proud about myself. And in fact, I remember seeing one, like there was an argument, I think it was a whole book somebody wrote about arguing that, you know, the baby boomers were better than the greatest generation because they didn't, you know, unlike the greatest generation that went and fight, fought a war, the baby boomers had the good sense to understand that they shouldn't fight. I was like, no, <laughs> no, you're not greater than the greatest generation. Uh, but this is, I, I think that's what this, this mentality is. It's the sense of, you know, we are, we, we, it comes out of a sense of, of inadequacy, a sense of inferiority and a desperate need to redefine what greatness is. There's a certain insecurity that's driving a great deal of our, uh, our political uh, debates these days, Greg. And it means a lot of uh, amazing parts of American history and beyond go unappreciated, certainly at the level they should. But um, I'm glad to see at least Apollo 11 is getting a lot of attention. I think most of it is uh, exceedingly positive. So we can uh, be grateful for that. Jim, always good to be with you. Talk to you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity of National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. And don't forget to visit our good friends over at Blinds.com. Remember that three Martini Lunch listeners can get $20 off at Blinds.com when you use the promo code MARTINI. And tune in again on Friday for the next Three Martini Lunch.